Thank you. If you have your Bible or Bibles, if you would, excuse me, please turn to the book of Colossians chapter 3. And as we've been working through this third chapter, looking at the various commands and directives that Paul gave, uh, we come now to verse 16, and we're going to read verses 16 and 17 today and consider what they have to say. So Colossians chapter 3, beginning at verse 16, Paul writing to the saints in Colossae said, or wrote, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. Let us pray. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, open your word to us, we pray. Speak to us this day from the Holy Scriptures. Help us, we pray, Lord, to to learn and to believe and to obey your word. Guide us in this, we pray. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts would be acceptable in your sight through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. Well, we come now to the 16th verse, a somewhat fairly well-known passage of Scripture about singing to God in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Uh, This comes following right after several other commands. You know, if we were to go back and look, we see this whole chapter has a lot about putting to death your members that are upon the earth, and he names off those fleshly sins. Uh, And then he talks, you know, about the things in our hearts in verse 8, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. So the thought life and the spoken word that comes out of us we need to deal with. And he tells us to put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. You need to know who you are is what he's saying. That you're renewed in Christ and start living according to that. And he says, there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free. But Christ is all in all. So he says those old categories of defining who you are and who other people are no longer valid you're either in christ or you're not and if you're in christ you belong to him and your brethren so he goes on in verse 12 therefore as the elect of god that is those whom god has chosen from before the foundation of the world not according to our works but according to his purpose and grace it was given to us in christ jesus literally before eternal times as the elect of god holy and beloved that's how god looks at you in christ tells us put on tender mercies compassions the old king james has bowels of mercies because that you know your your guts that was considered the seat of your emotions Um, put on tender mercies it's a good translation kindness humility meekness another way to render that is the idea of gentleness long suffering that means bearing with each other's faults bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, you also 
uh, so you also must do. So he says, you know, let go of things. Give it to God. So we have to have forgiveness in our hearts. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Let the love of Christ guide you and direct you. If you have trouble loving someone, ask the Lord to love them through you. God will help you. And then he gives us this directive that we considered last week. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Uh, that word rule there has uh, the idea of an umpire, one who officiates at the games and then awards the uh, laurels upon victory. And so he's saying that let, let, let God's peace call the shots in your life. To which also you were called in one body, that is, you're called unto peace. And he says, and be thankful. We'll see, that's going to come up again. So that brings us to the verses in front of us right now. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. So you need to have God's word in you. Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. You ought to have the word of Christ, you ought to have the word of Christ so filling you that it spills over into song. It should be affecting your your attitude, your soul, who you are, uh, to the point where you have that joy of the Lord, even in the midst of adverse circumstances. Now, this isn't to discourage anyone if you say, well, I'm sure not there. Well, it's to let us know what God's working in you, and so you can pray according to his will. As we're told by John in his first epistle, if we pray according to his will, he hears us. So if God's telling you to do this, you can ask him to help you, and then you can have the assurance that He's going to do this because I've asked him according to his will in the name of Christ. So we're told uh, we are to have the word of Christ dwelling in us. That's a prayer we can pray. We're to teach and admonish one another. Teaching means to instruct. Admonish actually means to warn. Uh, the Greek word kind of has the uh, idea of confrontation, but it's not an in-your-face type of thing. It means uh, gently instructing each other and giving each other guidance and counsel. So you might say uh, loving counsel. That would not be a bad way to render that. So we're to teach, and actually admonish is probably the best word we have in English to convey that. And note, in one another, but how do we do this? In psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. It's interesting, you know, uh, as has been pointed out, worship is directed toward God. But in corporate worship, we're in each other's presence also. And when our worship is according to Scripture, then we edify each other. So, we, you know, if you know, sometimes the hymns we sing are praise to God, but also there's some direction, you know, given to others. In the uh, doxology, I've often thought it's interesting when we, as we conclude the service, what do we say? Praise God, right? And we say, all you creatures here below, okay? Praise him above, you heavenly hosts. We're rather bossy. We're telling the angels what to do in that song. I don't know if you've noticed it. We're telling the heavenly hosts they need to be praising God. And some might say, well, is that prayer to angels? No, it's not, okay? We're not asking them to do something. We're directing them what God has said to do. And you can find the same language in Scripture uh, elsewhere. We're in the Psalms. And so uh, we do teach and admonish one another, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And then he says, and whatever you do in word or deed, word or work, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you're doing, put Jesus first. That will give you the perspective that you need on what you're doing. 
What does the Lord require of you, O man? But what? But to love mercy, to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Let the peace of God call the shots, be the umpire, rule in your hearts, um, and be thankful you know, to that one body in which we're called. So we need to be working, as I said last week, for the peace of the church. So when we look at this, we find, okay, you have the word of Christ dwell in you. Now, this is Colossians 3.16. That's one of those 3.16s of the Bible that some folks make uh, notice of. So here we have Colossians 3.16. You ought to be able to remember this reference, okay? Because, you know, John 3.16, Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, etc., well, there's a parallel passage. Paul said a very similar thing in Ephesians. And we can, I think, gain some real insight. Some of you may be aware of this. If you turn to Ephesians 5, 18 through 21, you find the parallel passage where Paul mentions singing to God in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. But here in Colossians, he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. And in Ephesians, we turn there to Ephesians 5, 18, and we read, the admonition is first, do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation or excess. It's just foolishness. It's waste. It does no good to be drunk with wine or any other type of intoxication. But what? But be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. So you notice in Colossians where he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. In Ephesians, it's uh, be filled with the Spirit. Now we hear a lot of talk from our charismatic brothers and sisters about being filled with the Spirit, and they have all kinds of, ways that they say that that's you know fulfilled and they're not wrong on everything okay the idea of being filled with the holy spirit is a really good prayer okay when you're saved the bible's pretty clear you're baptized by the holy spirit when you're saved you're washed you're cleansed you're purged spiritually you're born again and the holy spirit is your seal you know the seal is the mark of ownership you put a piece of clay on a seal and you press your image onto it from your seal ring well, the Holy Spirit is what God uses to seal us. So you have the Holy Spirit. That happens when you're saved. But being filled with the Spirit, you know, you can pray that prayer any time, and you should. You should pray it every day. Lord, fill me with your Spirit. Use me. Get the garbage out of my life. You know, some things we cleanse just by putting them under water and letting the water run on them a little bit, and it'll wash away the filth. Um, and the Holy Spirit is able to cleanse us. So we have to be praying for that. But we do need to be aware of the fact that in Scripture, the idea of being filled with the Spirit is, you might say, equaled or it's illuminated that thought with having the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. The Word of Christ means the Word from Him. It means the Word about Him. It's His Word. It's the Gospel concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're told to let that dwell in our hearts to have that dwell in our hearts to overflowing to the point where it begins to produce singing in psalms that would be the biblical psalms and hymns and spiritual songs 
So we're to be so affected by the word of Christ and receiving it by gratitude and love to him, because you notice thankfulness comes up in these things, because uh, after he says when you, that, he says, do everything, singing and making melody. And it's interesting, uh, most translations say in your hearts, but the Greek there is actually singular. Uh, with grace singing in your heart. I think Paul did that deliberately because he's writing to a congregation and he could have said, and he does in Ephesians uh, and elsewhere and here, refer to having Christ in your hearts by faith. But here he says, singing in your heart. And he really kind of looks at the congregation as of one heart, which I think was pretty beautiful actually. Um, so he says, uh, with grace, singing in your hearts to the Lord. So we're to sing, and at the end he says, and be thankful. Uh, giving thanks to God and the Father through him. And so, now, some have said, well, that means that we should only sing the psalms because that word spiritual at the end, uh, it's psalms, hymns, and songs, spiritual, and that goes back and defines everything. And in the, lot, the Puritan era, and a lot because they were trying to get rid of some of the hymns to the saints and praises to Mary uh, during the Reformation, they said generally it would be a lot better off if we just sang the Psalms. That seems to be the book appointed by God in Scripture for us to sing. And that's why Paul includes it in this list. But grammatically, that doesn't hold up, and I'll tell you why. He's not saying spiritual psalms, spiritual hymns, and spiritual songs. In Greek, as I have mentioned before, here's the technical part of my message. Bear with me. In Greek, you have grammatical gender. For us English speakers, that's kind of hard to grasp sometimes. Uh, but things are defined in the Greek language grammatically. So some things that we would say are neuter, like a road, okay? Well, that's a feminine noun in Greek. It doesn't, it's not because roads are feminine. It's because that's just the way they do it. I think French is the same way. You have masculine and neuter and everything falls into one or the other. And it's not always according to gender, okay? in our gender preoccupied generation now. It's grammatical gender. This is where the Jehovah's Witnesses come and they say, if you ever had to deal with one of them, they go, well, you know, the Holy Spirit is a thing. God, excuse me for repeating their blasphemies. And you say, well, why do you say it? Well, in the Greek, the word spirit is in the neuter gender. So that means the Holy Spirit's not a person. The Holy Spirit is a thing. And if you don't know any Greek, you're going to go, oh, I didn't know that. Well, once in a while they've come across somebody that's gone to Bible college or somebody that's gone to seminary or somebody that's just studied Greek. It's like, is there a way to say the word spirit in the masculine gender in Greek? And they'll go, oh, okay, because they, you know, Watchtower magazine didn't tell them. Well, let me tell you, there's no other way to say the word spirit. It's grammatically neuter. You can't say it in the masculine gender. It's in the neuter gender. It doesn't mean the Holy Spirit is a thing. If you look in Acts, when Cornelius sent men to Peter, when Peter was in the upper room, the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, men are coming for you. Go down and meet them, for I have sent them to you. It says, and the Holy Spirit said to him. That's a person. And so when they go, oh, well, it's in the neuter gender. Yeah, certainly it is. Yeah, and roads are feminine. Okay, and other words, you know, are masculine. That doesn't mean they have biological gender. Greek has grammatical gender, the same as a whole lot of other languages do, okay? I think German's that way also, if I remember correctly. Uh, and so, why is this important in this passage? 
Well, the words psalms and hymns are in the masculine gender. Okay? And the word songs is in the feminine gender. It's got nothing to do with biological gender. It's just grammatical gender. The word for psalms is psalmos. Okay? The word for hymn is hymnos. Okay? And the word for song is ode. We get the word ode, okay? meaning a song. So you have two masculines and one feminine, and then you have the adjective spiritual. And there's some who will insist we can only sing the 150 Psalms of David. They'll say, ah, oh, see that word spiritual goes back and defines all of them. Psalms, hymns, and songs, spiritual. No, it doesn't, okay? The masculine gender is the inclusive gender, all right? Uh, usually, you know, you'll put things in the masculine. It'll cover if you have other <laughs> nouns in the sentence that are neuter or feminine. In this case, Paul says uh, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. The word spiritual is just like the word songs. The adjective in Greek has to agree with its noun. And I apologize for all this grammar. My Greek professor would probably slap me upside the head because he said, you know, when you're building furniture, leave the wood chips in the shop, okay? He said, in all your Greek technical work, you don't need to drag that into the pulpit. Sometimes you do. Okay, so that's what I'm doing today. I want you to understand this because this is a problem and it actually shows up in Reformed churches more than any place else. Because Reformed people generally say, we've got to worship God according to the regulative principle. We've got to worship God according to his word. And then others come along and say, yeah, we should only be singing psalms. That is not what is taught in these passages. The grammar is the same here and in Ephesians. The word, the adjective, spiritual, is feminine because it's modifying the word song. So Paul's not saying spiritual psalms, spiritual hymns, and spiritual songs. Now, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't have you know, spirit-influenced psalms and hymns, and psalms are inspired. Hymns can be man-made, but they need to be spiritual in according to Scripture. But he's talking about songs, because the word ode could sometimes be referred to to pagan songs. Okay, They had their rock and roll in their, in their way back in their day, okay? So the reason why I'm saying this is when people try to say, oh, well, that means that you know, spiritual applies to all three of those nouns, the answer is no, it doesn't. Okay. What Paul wrote was, here's the Greek, uh, singing to yourselves or you know, admonishing one another, salmois kai humnois kai oidais phenumatikais. You hear that? Oidais the endings tell you what the gender is, okay? If Paul had wanted it to say the way they're saying it, he would have said, you know, teaching and admonishing one another, uh, that he didn't write that. He would have put the, the adjective first, and he would have put it in the masculine gender, then it would have defined everything there. It would have modified all those. He didn't do that, okay? Uh, and so he didn't write that, so he's saying it's spiritual songs. Obviously, he's not saying you can sing secular hymns or something like that, but grammatically, it's very clear. He wasn't saying psalms only in this passage. Okay, Really important, I think, to get that established. Spiritual does not mean inspired infallibly. And that's what, the other thing that they try to do. Oh, well, see, the word spiritual means inspired by the Holy Spirit. Really? Because in Corinthians, uh, when they say well, it means inspired and infallible. Well, Paul used that same exact adjective when he said in 1 Corinthians 2.5, but he that is spiritual judges all things. So would we translate that? But he who is inspired and infallible judges all things. We wouldn't attribute that to any man, all right? 
Clearly, it means under the influence of the Holy Spirit in accordance to his word. 1 Corinthians 3.1, Paul says, But I, brethren, could not speak unto you as to spiritual, but as unto carnal. Again, the word there is pneumatikos. He says, I couldn't speak to you as those that are under the influence of the Holy Spirit and guided by the principles of God's word. He's not saying I couldn't write to you as those that are inspired infallibly and inerrantly. Okay? He's not looking for that in them. 1 Corinthians 12.1, now concerning spiritual gifts, that is the things of the Spirit. We're not going to say if someone has a spiritual gift, that renders them infallible or puts them on the same level as Scripture. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, listen to this. Paul says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, pneumatikoi, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness. He's not saying you who are inspired and infallible and inerrant. So the word pneumatikos, or, uh, which is the dictionary form of the word, it doesn't mean inspired and infallible. So Paul's not trying to say that you can only sing psalms. Again, this is a, a problem. It's not a heresy. It's a heterodoxy. That is, it's not complete. It's not teaching anything bad. If you want to just sing psalms, you're not going to be hurt by that. Okay? We don't fight with those that want to sing psalms. Sometimes they want to fight with us or they won't sing with us, and that's between them and the Lord at that point. Your conscience is never to be violated, okay? If you think you shouldn't sing anything but psalms, just sing psalms. But your conscience can be educated. Remember when Paul talked about those that wouldn't eat meat? Because, well, it might have been sacrificed to an idol, okay? Paul said, well, they don't really have knowledge. So, and Paul said, don't put a stumbling block in front of them. Don't try to get them to violate their conscience, but educate them, all right? And so if somebody says, oh, we should only sing the psalms. Well, don't insist, well, you've got to sing this. Okay, you can't do that, all right? You've got to be gentle with people. And if they bought into a heterodox idea, heterodox means not quite right, okay? I think, um, I think it was uh, George Bush, or maybe Ronald Reagan, I think it was, said, I don't know, it was somebody out there, it was a president, um, said, you know, we don't need to be afraid of that which is false. Christians can generally identify that. The, the danger for the Christian is that which is almost true. Okay? And so this is like something that I think it's like, there's a lot of truth in it. You sing the Psalms, you're going to get blessed. Okay? Psalms are awesome. And Paul said, sing Psalms, so it's okay. The problem, one of the things I don't like about the Psalms only guys, they put guys like me, they think you have liberty to sing praise songs to God that are not directly out of the Psalter, and you can mention the name of Jesus in song, and it's not a sin. They put guys like me in a position where it looks like I'm attacking psalm singing. And I don't like that because I love the psalms, okay? So if you want to sing only psalms, that's fine. But don't be judged, you know, same way. Nobody should bug you, try to get you to violate your conscience. And you shouldn't be trying to look down on other people that don't agree with you and think, oh, you're not really worshiping God like I am, okay? So the conscience is to be educated, okay? Paul, Peter wrote... You also as lively stones are built up for a spiritual house. That's that word for pneumatikos. Uh, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. The word in both those is pneumatikos. So he's not saying that you're to only do things that are infallible, directly inspired by the Holy Spirit on the same level as Scripture. So when he says speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, that means all our hymnody has to be in agreement with Scripture. And that's super important, and that doesn't always happen. 
You know, sometimes you listen particularly to pop Christian songs on the radio. Once in a while you hear something, not too often, most of the time they're pretty good. But once in a while you hear something like, oh, that is really unfortunate that they're singing that, okay? You got to keep your eyes open. So the point of this little excursion was it's okay to sing hymns. And if you're reformed, sooner or later you're going to meet somebody that's going to tell you it's a sin to sing anything but psalms in worship. It's not. That's not what Paul said there. What he's saying is, have the word of who, whose word? The word of Christ flooding your heart to the point that you're going to be praising God by his word. And you're supposed to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. That means when you're singing, it's not wrong to sing to Jesus. As a matter of fact, you should be, okay? So make note of that. And then look at this. We're to sing songs that are born in our hearts by having the word of Christ, meaning the word from him, the word belonging to him, and the word about him, filling our hearts to overflowing. Now, when he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, he's talking to a congregation. It's not been lost on some. There's kind of a twofold double entendre in that. As a congregation, the word of Christ is to be so flooding your assemblies and in your corporate life that it's to affect you to the point where you're singing to each other. What's the old joke? I get a lot of requests about my singing, but I sing anyway. You know? um, but there's a story. There was a fellow named Cademan lived back in the 7th century in England, and he could not sing. His singing was horrible. It was so bad that when uh, he would, you know, he worked, he was, he was a cow herder, okay? He wasn't a shepherd, he was a cow herder. But he would go down, and this is in the Middle Ages in the seventh century in England, he'd go to the monastery and he'd participate when they were singing. They'd have like a dinner and everybody then would sing songs and each individual could sing a song. And when he figured out it was starting to get close to him, he'd quietly back off and then go out to the cow shed um, so he didn't have to sing. The reason why I mentioned Cademan, had an interesting thing happen to him. Uh, while he was in the, the cow shed taking care of the cattle, he deliberately did it so he wouldn't have to sing, and it wasn't the first time. Well, he fell asleep. It came time to go to bed, so he just fell asleep there. And he reported that he had a dream that night, and he didn't report it as anything other than a dream. But he said that that night, he said, I had a dream, and a man came to me and told me to sing. And he said, I can't sing. And the fellow said, go ahead and sing. Sing for me. And so in his dream, he sang, and he sang scripture, he said. And when he woke up, thought this is, that was a strange dream. So he went, and uh, uh, there was a, a lady named Hilda, actually, she was the abbotess of the monastery, and she was there, and he told her what had happened. And he sang his song for her and a whole bunch of others. And they listened, and they all sat, and they kind of judged, and so they had him sing some more. And so all of a sudden, he was just, and he just sang scripture. He was just singing, actually, we have some, one of his songs has been preserved in Anglo-Saxon. He just sang to the Lord, and he sang really well all of a sudden. And they determined, God's given you a gift now, apparently, so go ahead and do it. So they gave him other scriptures. He said, well, let me get back to you. And the next day, he'd come, and he'd sing it for him. So, and they said that by his singing, a whole lot of people really turned from their sins and started taking their walk seriously because this brother was just filled with scripture. The word of Christ dwelt in him richly to overflow. He was a man of his times, okay? Uh, and 
the word of Christ dwelt in him so fully that it came out in song, and people were affected by that. And other people then wanted to sing. Next time they had a dinner and people were singing, he stuck around and he sang. So if you don't think you can sing, well, ask God to help you, okay? Because he tells you to do it. And what he tells you to do, you can be assured he's going to, to answer. So the word of Christ is the gospel, as uh, uh, John Adey said in his commentary. It's the doctrine of Christ, or the truth which has Christ as its subject. So we ought to know the scripture so well that it affects us in our singing. Again, the word, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That can mean corporately, but it can also mean individually. As a matter of fact, it can't happen corporately to a body of believers in a local church unless it's happening to each one of us individually. So it's corporate, but it's also, you might say, distributive. You know, it's got to come to each one of us. A lot of the commands are that way given to the churches. So the word of Christ is to dwell richly among us. It's not just the preacher's job to do this, okay? You didn't hire me to do what God tells you to do, okay? Uh, God called me here, okay? And, uh, but my job is to encourage you to do what God tells you to do. Some people sometimes think when they call a pastor, like, oh, good, we don't have to do all that stuff now. We've got a guy there, we're paying him to do it, okay? Uh, that's not the way it works, okay? That's not what pastors are about. God wants us all to be filled with his word and, and singing. So as a body of believers, the word of God, the message from and about Christ should be among us and in our fellowship and within our hearts. So it just comes out in singing. Now, a lot of evangelicals today are occupied with the idea of the rapture. There's nothing wrong with that. Jesus is coming again. We're going to be caught up to be with him. And that's a good thing. And it's good to dwell on it. That's the blessed hope of the church. Jesus is coming again. There's another way to be caught up in Christ even now. And that's to be raptured in song. You know, sometimes people talk that way, don't they? Oh, I was, we use the term enraptured. You know, and I was just singing songs. I just was enraptured in the presence of God. Nothing wrong with that. It's like, that doesn't sound very reformed. Yeah, it sounds happy, doesn't it, okay? Um, <laughs> you should be so filled with the word of Christ, you're just caught up in it. So if you're looking for the rapture, I'm going to tell you from the word of God, you can be raptured today. Just start praising God. Get your Bible out. Get your, if you've got a hymnal, if you've got a song sheet, you can go online, learn songs, learn the music. If you play an instrument, because actually when he says making melody, literally that's uh, the, it's the verb of psalms, okay? And it means, it, it literally, uh, it means to play, pluck a stringed instrument. So those same people, by the way, that are psalms only, usually say no musical instruments. And it's like, uh, it's kind of hard to do that if you understand what Paul told them. Making melody in your hearts. So if you don't play an instrument, you can still make melodies. So be caught up, get raptured today in song and in praise and in worship. You know, it says that Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him back before the flood. Enoch was, he walked with God. And the Lord took him into heaven. <laughs> One comment, I think it was Matthew Henry, someone said, he might not have noticed it right away. <laughs> and you have to think about that. He was walking with God. And the Lord, now, it might have been like when Elijah was taken in a fiery chariot. It may have been noted. But I just thought that was an interesting comment. It doesn't say anything happened. It said he walked with God and he was not. He wasn't around anymore because God took him. Like I say, maybe he didn't notice because he was, he was already there in his praise and in his fellowship with the Lord. That's a good goal to ask God to bring about. Lord, help me to walk so closely with you 
that if you call me home, I might not even notice it for a few moments, okay? Um, and just have our hearts filled with the word of Christ, the promise of the gospel, the love of God. We're to do this singing and teaching and admonishing one another, it says, in all wisdom. That's knowing how to build up our brothers and sisters in song and in teaching and in instructed counsel. In Proverbs 25, 20, it says, and we've got to be wise when we do that because, you know, well, I'll tell you what, here's what it says, I'll just say it. As he that takes away a garment in cold weather, and as vinegar upon nitre, we'd say baking powder or something, okay? So is he that sings songs to a heavy heart. So there's a time to be all chipper, cheery, and happy. But if you've got a brother or sister with a broken heart, they might not be able to receive it. You know, there's a lot of, some of the Psalms get pretty dark. You know, it talks about the feeling of being forsaken by God and struggling against persecution and being misunderstood or being hated, all those things. We need to know how to apply the songs. You know, if you want to admonish someone and encourage them, don't sing songs that are joyful and cheerful to a heavy heart. Work with your brothers and sisters. Why do I say it? Because Paul says to do this in all wisdom. Okay? You were always to be praising God at all times, but there's certain times when we, you know, weep with those that weep. And then rejoice with those who rejoice. Sometimes it's the same persons. So we must not only know what and how to minister to others in song, but when to do it as is fitting to their circumstances. Okay? And then verse 17, let all be done to the glory of God, the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I love it. In Acts 16:25, you know, Paul and Silas had been beaten, uncondemned, had been thrown into the jail at Philippi. On wars, taken to the darkest dungeon they had and put in stocks. That is, their feet were locked up and probably their hands. They had reason to complain, didn't they? And what do we read in Acts 16.25? But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. <coughs> and the prisoners were listening to them. Excuse me. <coughs> the very next verse says, And there was a great earthquake, <laughs> and all the doors opened. Nobody ran out. Okay, the prisoners had been listening. They knew something was up. So did the jailer. He started to kill himself because he thought, uh-oh, he knew he was going to die the next day if everybody had escaped because he wakes up and all the doors are open on all the cells. Paul and Silas, they yell out, say, don't hurt yourself. And you know what happened. He brought them out. And what did he say to them? He'd been listening to those songs also. What did he say? What must I do to be saved? And what did they say? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved, and your house, meaning his family. So Paul and Silas at midnight, in the worst circumstances I think you could probably find yourself in, or some of the worst, beat up, bloodied, because when he took them out later, he went and washed their wounds. That hadn't happened before. They're not down there complaining. Oh, woe is me. They're not doing that. They might have to each other a little bit. Maybe we're not told. But by the time midnight came around, they were singing God's praises. And what happened? Well, the prisoners heard it, and God sent an earthquake, and man, did things change. So in the midst of our difficulties, we can still praise God, and we ought to. As far as having the word of Christ dwell in you, Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. How do you know if you're abiding in Christ? Well, is his word abiding? Is it indwelling you? He said, you shall, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Why? Because you're not going to be asking for stupid stuff. If Christ's word is in your heart, you know what you begin to understand. What, what should I be praying about? 
God doesn't want me sinning. He wants me to live a holy life. God wants me, he wants me to have his joy in my heart. He wants me to be kind to other people. He wants me to be diligent in my vocation. Well, if I pray about those things and I ask him to help me do those things, I can have assurance that it's going to happen. If I ask him, Lord, I, I want to sing your praises. Is he going to hear that prayer? He just told you to do it. So if you ask him to, to work in you so that that happens, is he going to answer that prayer? Of course he is. But be ready when you ask. Ask true, you know, because, you, you know, it doesn't mean you go around and at work, you know, and someone says, oh, hey, can we get this done by five? And you just break out into a hymn and don't answer them, okay? That's not what it's talking about. Do your work, but have God's praise in your heart. You can go out walking around praising God, and it's going to break out in your voice, okay? But, you know, you see, you're to praise God at all times, but not necessarily audibly, all right? Paul concludes verse 17 with thanksgiving. Whatsoever you may do in word or in deed, do all things in the name of the Lord Jesus. That means as unto him. Giving while, and literally it's a, the present participle modifies that. How you, what are you going to be doing while you're doing that? While giving thanks to God, even the Father through him. So have hearts that are filled with the word of Christ and you will have hearts that are filled with gratitude. Because it's his work doing that. The Holy Spirit is the one that does that in you. Be filled with the Spirit. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. It's kind of the same thing. If you look at Ephesians and then Colossians, how do you know if you've got the Holy Spirit filling? Well, is the word of Christ dwelling in your heart? Do you love Jesus? Do you know the promises of God? Do you know the rebukes of God? Do you know what his word says in all aspects? Get that knowledge in your heart and in your head, and it'll end up in your tongue, okay? And man, it'll be so sweet for everybody else too, okay? So may the Lord be pleased to bring this about in us. Amen. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We ask you to bless us now, and those things that you command, bring about in us. Lord, as your servant Augustine said, Lord, Give what you command and then command whatsoever you will. And Lord, we know what you've commanded. We ask you to bring it about in us by the work of your Holy Spirit. That we might sing your praise fearlessly, even in the midst of adversity. And Father, we are weak and we have difficulty and troubles, Lord. We can't do this often. But give us grace, Lord. Bring it about. Help us to be like Paul and Silas. Even in the midst of bad circumstances, Lord, to praise your name and worship you. Help us to do that. Bring it about in us for your glory and for our good and for the good of your people, your church. So we ask all these things, Father, committing ourselves and these things into your gracious hands. In Jesus Christ.